Do you have family there, Maria, now? All my family's there. All my family's there. Maria Zalkina is a Ukrainian political analyst. She grew up in the Donbass, that southeastern region of Ukraine that Moscow claims asked for help. Maria's parents have been living there right up until the end of last month. They were on the very edge of Donbass. And when my parents are very famous uh, patriots on the ground, so they have never left their region. Maria won't say exactly where her parents are in Ukraine now, but they certainly aren't sitting back. My mom wants to join volunteering forces because she is not sure she will be able to fight, but she can help other way. Men in my family also, you know, understand what they have to do now. They're joining the fight part of Ukraine's resistance movement known as the Territorial Defense Forces. They've been part of the operation that has slowed Russia's advance on major cities in Ukraine, which, quite frankly, has surprised just about everyone, including Russian forces. They thought it would be an easy walk and they will capture Kyiv and major cities and that they will be met with the flowers by Ukrainians nowhere. Even in Kharkiv, look at Kharkiv, which is 50 kilometers from the border. They are fighting like lions. There's something about all of this that seems from a different era. Invasions, blitzkriegs in the middle of Europe, underground resistance fighters. Maria's parents and the people of Ukraine are living something out of a World War II newsreel. Only it's live and in full color. Ukrainian resistance was one surprise. And the other? Were you at all surprised that there wasn't a big cyber attack to start, like they turn off the lights like they did in Estonia? I would say that we didn't think about that, because we know that it still may come. Maria isn't alone. U.S. officials are bracing for that kind of cyber attack, too, which means this latest conflict could give the world its first taste of open warfare in cyberspace with cyber attacks not only coming out of the shadows, but actually targeting us. Americans watching today, everybody should go to work and change their passwords and update their their security systems, but certainly Russia is and has been inside of our cyber, our critical infrastructure for years. And they may choose this moment to strike. I'm Dina Temple-Raston, and this is Click Here, a podcast about all things cyber and intelligence. Today, Russia has launched only the simplest of cyber attacks in the run-up to the invasion of Ukraine. Something that has surprised cybersecurity officials, but they don't expect that to last for long. Stay with us. If you're looking for a daily guide to cybersecurity news and policy, sign up for the Cyber Daily from Recorded Future News. It serves up the day's most interesting and important cyber stories from our sister publication, The Record, and then aggregates all of the big cyber stories you might have missed from news outlets around the world. Just go to therecord.media and click on Cyber Daily to get all you need to know about the world of cybersecurity right in your inbox. Hello, I'm Adam Fleming from the Global Story podcast from the BBC World Service. We are looking at Lena Khan, the face of the US government's battle to regulate big tech. She's already redefined the way we talk about monopolies. Now she's taking on the likes of Amazon and Meta. But who is she and will she win? 
The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Maria Zalkina grew up in the Donbass, that separatist region that President Vladimir Putin occupied years ago and then used as a pretext to invade Ukraine. Her specialty, it so happens, her area of research, is misinformation. And she says early in the invasion, Russia started a disinformation campaign on the Telegram messaging app. Telegram channels are very popular at the source of exchange of information in Ukraine. The Telegram channels were claiming Ukrainian President Zelensky had fled. But the rumors didn't get much traction because Zelensky and his team just kept talking. President He is almost every hour on air including uh, the video from Kyiv uh, streets. Before the invasion, Zelensky's support in Ukraine was flagging. He was unpopular. People didn't think he would rise to the occasion of being a wartime president. And then he did. From communication point of view, he is also very effective now. And there is no any kind of widespread ideas that he can escape or he has escaped somewhere. And following the logic of his actions, I'm pretty sure he won't escape. What she means is he won't leave Ukraine. And in making that decision, he's come to personify Ukrainian fortitude. Slava našim zahisnikam, slava našim zahisnicam. Slava Ukraini. This will be the last aggressive attempt of current Russian Federation. Because Ukrainian state generally will never surrender, never The cyber portion of the Russian invasion started small, with a series of distributed denial-of-service attacks. The targets were kind of the obvious ones. Servers hosting the websites for Ukraine's defense ministry, army, and two of its largest banks. The hackers overloaded the servers with so many requests, they just shut down. So that's where the name denial-of-service comes in. And given how skilled Russia is at cyber attacks, it was a surprisingly restrained move. In the pantheon of cyber tricks, it's not very sophisticated. It's almost retro. Yeah, it struck me as, I love the word retro, right? Because This is Jason Healy. He's a senior researcher in cybersecurity at Columbia University. Right, it's, it's seen as not advanced, and if the Russians really care, they would be using zero-day exploits in amazing intrusions. Zero-day exploits are flaws in software or hardware systems that no one knows about. They're expensive, and they aren't deployed lightly. So Russia's decision to start with a DDoS attack was a relatively safe play. But it was effective, right? It, it seemed to be, I wouldn't necessarily militarily effective, but if they wanted to suppress Ukrainian communications, keep them down, keep the defenders scrambling, uh, then the denial-of-service attack is a very easy way to do that without burning capabilities. There were other small cyber attacks in the days leading up to the invasion. Ukrainian computers were hit with what looked like a ransomware attack. In fact, its payload was something called wiper malware, which, just like it sounds, wipes your hard drive clean. The hackers who launched that attack didn't want money. They just pretended to. What they really wanted was to destroy data and damage hard drives. Everyone expected something more because, well, Russia hasn't been shy about hacking Ukraine in the past. In 2015, hackers used the so-called black energy malware to destroy part of the electrical grid in eastern Ukraine. 
Two years later, it was the NotPetya attack, which crippled Ukrainian utility companies, banks, airports, and government agencies. The two attacks seemed to be signaling that Russia was just flexing their cyber muscles, testing things out in anticipation of when they'd be needed later. What worries Senator Mark Warner of Virginia is that cyber attacks aren't precise. They can be a bit unpredictable. Is if Russia unleashes its full cyber power against Ukraine, once you put malware into the wild, in a sense, it knows no geographic boundary. That's Warner speaking to CBS News. So if the Russians decide they're going to try to turn off the power, uh, turn off all the electricity all across Ukraine, very likely that may turn off the power in eastern Poland and eastern Romania. That could affect our troops if suddenly hospitals are shut down, if uh, those NATO troops, American troops, somehow have a, a car accident because the, the stoplights don't work. Um, we are suddenly in an area of hypothetically um, an Article 5 where one NATO country is attacked. We all have to come to each other's aid. Which may explain why Russia is keeping its cyber powder dry. They'll probably avoid, for as long as possible, um, cyber actions against Western targets because they don't want to escalate the conflict. Jim Lewis is a cybersecurity expert with the Center for Strategic and International Studies. It's a think tank in Washington, D.C. The only thing that might change that is uh, the Russians have been mumbling threats to take revenge for sanctions. And so they might look for some cyber component to that. They have the capability. We shouldn't have any doubt about that. Lewis says waiting to deploy cyber forces is a strategic decision. They haven't done anything because it's not in their interest right now, military or political. Uh, because it escalates, it, it, it expands the battlefield? Why is it not in their interest? Well, what does it get them from, from uh, Putin's goals? Putin's goal is to take over the Ukraine, apparently. Not what we were expecting. And a cyber attack on the U.S. doesn't get him any closer to achieving that. I guess I was waiting for a big cyber component. I was not, because cyber is now mature, and it's part of the tools of coercion that the Russians have so skillfully developed. But they put it in a larger context of their strategy towards, one, undermining the West, damaging the U.S., what would they get in the near-term goal of taking over Ukraine uh, from a cyber attack? And the answer is not very much. Jim Lewis sees three ways this could play out. One, Russian intelligence services like the FSB and the GRU could use their cyber arms to attack critical infrastructure like power grids. But doing that would move Russia closer to a direct conflict with the US. Two, Russian intelligence agencies could act as disruptors, not destroyers, and just lock up some of the same sectors in the U.S. and Europe that the sanctions are targeting in Russia. Or three, and this, Jim Lewis says, seems like the most likely scenario, Russia would reprise something like last year's colonial pipeline ransomware attack. The biggest fuel pipeline system in the United States remains crippled by a cyber attack that's been called the worst of its kind in the U.S., Last May, the major oil pipeline became a victim of a ransomware attack that shuttered its operations for nearly a week. The hackers had slipped into one of the company's billing systems, which took a while to sort out. There was a whiff of Russian attribution, 
but it was hard to tell exactly who was behind it. Shortages. President Biden says there is no evidence of Russian government involvement, but there are some signs that the attack originated in Russia. I think the Russians really enjoyed colonial pipelines. It wasn't the Kremlin, but seeing panicky Americans line up to stockpile toilet paper probably was got a good laugh in Moscow. And so the question for them is, do they unleash the criminal gangs and let ransomware pick back up? Criminal gangs would give Russia plausible deniability so they could get even for sanctions against their country and not get caught. That's what Trump's primary intelligence briefer, Beth Sanner, told CNN over the weekend. She says Putin eventually won't have any choice but to launch cyber attacks. These sanctions are significant enough that um, he's going to start seeing some real pain. And what else does he have to do short of, you know, pushing a button? Some Russian and Ukraine-based cyber gangs have taken sides, but it's unclear how that's going to play out going forward. This is Click Here, and when we come back, who's watching when countries decide to shut down access to the internet? Stay with us. Politics has never been stranger, or more online. Which is why the politics team at Wired is making a new show, Wired Politics Lab. It's all about how to navigate the endless stream of news and information and what to look out for. Each week on the show, we'll dig into far-right platforms, AI chatbots, influencer campaigns, and so much more. Wired Politics Lab launches Thursday, April 11th. Follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Cyber conflict has another component that we haven't talked about, the Internet itself. Within hours of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, people started to lose access to the Internet. Citizens in Kharkiv, Ukraine's second-largest city, woke last week to the shuttering of distant missile strikes. But they couldn't get online to confirm what they were. Initial reports attributed the break in Internet service to nearby explosions. Uh, we've seen disconnections for a number of reasons, including cyber attacks, kinetic impacts of uh, military activity, and also population movements as people flee conflict zones. Alp Toker runs a group called Netblocks. Which is a global internet monitoring and watchdog organization. What that means is he and his team scan the globe looking for internet disruptions and what caused them. Our investigations are all about piecing things together, starting with internet measurement, network measurement, tests and, and checks run by users, all the way through to providers and governments to, to make sense of what's happened. And over the past week, NetBlocks has reported some notable disruptions in Ukraine's internet. Missiles and bombs have destroyed some telecom infrastructure and communications towers. Network cables, which carry services between internet providers and customers, also appear to have been targeted. There has also been one apparent instance of sabotage where a cable was physically cut. The Interior Ministry uh, published an analysis showing imagery of uh, cut cables. They say that it is a saboteur that cut the cable. Toker says these kinds of internet blackouts provide cover for autocratic regimes. It's all about um, silencing and erasing the permanent record, making sure that there's this fog of war in which these incidents can't be reported. And that ambiguity is enough to help uh, the aggressors get off without accountability. In our connected world, people need the internet for everything from reporting atrocities to sharing news on the ground to organizing. 
That's why muzzling the internet or hobbling social media is in the autocrat's playbook, whether it's to quell protests in Kazakhstan, carry out a coup in Myanmar. The Myanmar military shut down the internet in the country on Saturday. As or invade the sovereign country of Ukraine. It's happening um, all around the world, and it stopped looking like the tactic of a single regime. It's not a Chinese problem. It's not a Middle Eastern problem. It is a global problem. Internet disruptions in Ukraine so far have been limited. But that's partly because it has a lot of internet providers. If one gets taken down, another can take its place. In fact, if Russia wants to shut down internet across Ukraine, that would necessitate walking into internet exchange points physically and pulling the plug because it's very difficult. Uh, Russia doesn't have sufficient connectivity interchanges with Ukraine to simply pull plugs on its end and switch off the country. Toker says it's much easier for a regime to shut off access to its own internet rather than that of a neighbor's. In fact, Moscow is already doing that. Amid anti-war protests across Russia, authorities have restricted access to social media sites like Twitter and Facebook. The way they do it is simple. They slow down load times so much, the system stalls out. These social media platforms have become a nuisance for um, Russia's plans, and um, Putin has found it easier to just restrict them. What seems clear is that the battle for Ukraine is unlikely to remain solely kinetic. While the people of Ukraine fight like lions, the West is girding for what comes next. Here are some of the other important cyber and intelligence stories from this week. Ransomware gangs and cybercriminals are entering the fray in Europe. Pro-Ukraine groups have been trying to crack into Russian systems, and some ransomware groups, like Conti, say they will fight in cyberspace for Moscow. You can turn to the record to track what these groups are doing and with whom they've aligned themselves. That's at therecord.media. And the U.S. says it's ready to respond to Russian cyber attacks. President Joe Biden said the White House is working closely with private companies to harden cyber defenses and sharpen the nation's ability to respond to any cyber attacks Russia might launch. He wasn't more specific. The record also sat down with the Department of Defense's chief information officer, John Sherman, last week. And he talked about zero trust, a cybersecurity strategy based on the idea that adversaries, like Russia, are already in America's key computer networks. He says the U.S. shouldn't just be looking at signatures inside a network, but instead should recognize odd behaviors. It's a no, whole new way of thinking about cybersecurity. Finally, a number of threat intelligence companies from around the world, including Internet 2.0 and Recorded Future, announced over the weekend that they're taking sides in this conflict, and they are pitching in to help Ukraine protect itself from cyber attacks. And we wanted to leave you with this. That's the Ukrainian National Anthem, performed by the Ukrainian Chorus Dumka of New York on this week's Saturday Night Live. At the time this episode posted, the Russians had yet to seize a major Ukrainian city.
Today's episode was produced by Will Jarvis and Sean Powers. It was edited by Karen Duffin. Ben Levinston composed our theme, and we had additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. A very special thanks to Maria Zulkina, as well as Jason Healy and Jim Lewis. Click Here is a production of The Record Media, and we want to hear from you. Please leave us a review and rating wherever you get your podcast, and connect with us by email. Click here at recordedfuture.com or on our website at clickhereshow.com. I'm Dina Temple-Raston. We'll be back on Tuesday. Looking for more of the cybersecurity and intelligence coverage you get on Click Here? Then check out our sister publication, The Record, from Recorded Future News. You'll get breaking cyber news from reporters in New York, Washington, London, and Kiev, among others. And you'll see for yourself why it attracts hundreds of thousands of page views every month. Just go to the record.media.